0: What's up, party people? It's Talib Kweli, the BKMC, the MCEO. I love the fact that y'all checking out the People's Party and showing us a lot of love. You know what we do. We're bringing you all the live guests. We're bringing you the best podcast on the internet. Just make sure you subscribe and leave a review. People's Party, Talib Kweli. Let's go. Let's go. How you doing, ladies and gentlemen? It's Talib Kweli the BKMC, the MCEO. Welcome to another wonderful, fantastic edition of The People's Party. I got over there dancing for some reason. My wonderful, beautiful, lovely co-host, Jasmine Lee. Give it up. Oh, tell me more. Tell me more. (laughs) Now, Jasmine, uh, you've been living in Los Angeles for a long time now.
1: Six years, baby. Do you
0: ever eat at food trucks?
1: How can I live in L.A. and not eat at a food truck?
0: See, see, see. That's what I'm talking about. Today's guest, you're going to love today's guest. Because today's guest started one of the most famous food trucks in the country. Uh, He's responsible for multiple culinary revolutions here in America. He's a chef. He's an author. He's a filmmaker. He's a traveler. He's a big thinker. He made the Time 100 Most Influential People list twice. Two times. People's Party. Give it up for Roy Choi.
1: Yeah, baby. That be Roy Choy, wow. Thanks for
2: the know? intro. Beautiful. What's
1: up, Roy Choi?
2: What's up,
1: Jack? Is that a fish
2: smoking a cigar? It is. I think oh it's wow. a blunt. Yeah, it's, it's my a fish pulled. smoking a blunt. My friends, uh, it's, yeah, it's this is new company, real bad man.
0: Oh wow. Okay. We need some product placement. Oh uh, no. Can we good. get some shirts?
1: I would oh, love yeah, a yeah, fish smoking <laughs> <and> a cigar <laughs> yeah. right a on my boobs. A blunt. <laughs> yeah, right on there.
0: Um. So I want to start off. By apologizing to you, okay, and also uh, apologizing to your whole crew, Adam and everybody, the softball crew. Oh yeah, why? Because I went a little too hard when we was playing that softball game.
2: Oh, we got <laughs> we got that on uh, Adam's Instagram.
0: So um, Adam Vitz from the Beastie Boys yeah. has a softball situation every oh. Sunday.
1: What? Right?
2: Here?
0: Here in L.A.? Yeah. Oh, you, it started in New it's York.
2: on the east side. Yeah, they have a New York. I, I, we want to get to the point where L.A. can play New York. Okay, that okay. Wow. I didn't
0: realize it's two different situations.
2: Yeah, I think it's his friends in New York, okay. and then it's his friends here in L.A. I
0: played with him in New York mm-hmm. on the concrete. You know what I'm saying? Oh, LA. you guys play on concrete? Oh, we play yeah, on concrete. We okay. played across the street from Hot 97. I used to play Little League. Okay. And that competitive uh, competitive spirit has not come out of me yeah. and, uh sports in quite some time. Yeah. So when I was rounded third, I took the catcher waiting, out. Yeah. That's
1: what I did. Oh my God. I was rounded third
0: and it was I came like a little, Pete Rose. I came like, a little <laughs> too hard at the catcher.
1: It was football. I got
0: on my on my Pete Rose. <laughs> I was gambling on the game, everything. I was I was just straight Pete Rose. Yeah. So tell Adam I said, my bad.
2: Okay. I think we all cheered it. I think it was the highlight of the whole season, to be man. honest. Yeah, man. That league is amazing. It, it is it, it's just it's it's one a those, great situation. It's one of those things where it just, with all the things going on in life, um, just makes you smile and be out yeah. there. No matter how bad you do or whatever, it's just... And just the people that, that he brings together, mm-hmm. you know, yourself and... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I met you there. Yeah, there'll be always someone there, Um, someone that you either listen to or been a part... That's been a part of pop culture or whatever for mm-hmm. a long period of time. But then there's also just a whole group of us that like, just like really connect on. And like, anyone um, can play. Like sometimes anyone. it'd just
0: be random people in the park joining in. Oh, I'm yeah, coming.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be the random. Well, yeah. Why? You can
2: show up anytime. It's on the East side. Anytime. Yeah, yeah.
0: baby. It's dope. Um, You have a strong connection with hip hop.
2: Yeah. I've been, I've been around it for a long time.
0: A lot yeah. of chefs do. Um, yeah. Rappers love food lyrics, right? Yeah. MF doom had a whole food album. Mm food. Um Eminem was throwing up his mom's spaghetti. Yep. Which I always think is a funny lyric because he's so tough in Eight Mile, but also his mom's makes spaghetti for him. Mm. Um Dead Prez, uh, you know, they they do they deal with all types of food justice and they have like yeah. songs about eating healthy. Um, you know, um Eat to Live. I did a song about that mm-hmm. with Mad Lib. What's your favorite food related rap lyric?
2: Oh, man. I just did. uh, I'm horrible at remembering exact stuff, but all the stuff you just mentioned for sure. But I think the Beastie Boys talked about food so much in in a funny way for sure, just to keep going on Adam a little bit. And I had the opportunity. I think we both did the book together, the podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, their, their I, did, I did some voiceover. Yeah. We did like a little zine mm-hmm. inside. So what we did was we took their lyrics from their songs and made recipes out of them. Oh, wow. So I think like for me. Cookie Puss
0: was the first Beastie Boys Yeah, Cookie Puss was the first <laughs> track. That was their
2: demo, right? <laughs> their first track. Um, but I think for them, um, I, I think it's really with them that uh, mm-hmm. for me, the food really stood out as far as them just having fun with it, playing with it mixing it into the rhymes not really looking at it from from a deep reason or anything like that but really just using the the food as wordplay but also stuff that they were eating at that
1: time mine was 50 said i love you like a fat kid loves cake oh <laughs> i use I it like all the this, time yeah, classic so speaking of music and chefs, mm-hmm. so I'm actually a chef too. I went oh, to really? culinary school and everything. You keep saying this. I know, and you still haven't come over for oh, yeah, any. You were food. talking
2: about going on Chopped earlier, right?
1: Yes, you told me to go on Chopped Juniors, and yeah. I am because I'm 14. Okay. Um, <laughs> I was I was just
2: saying because you're age. I'm saying because you could beat you could beat all these little
3: kids. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah.
1: But, okay, so I was wondering, because I know I used to be a, um, a prep cook. That was, like, my first job. Okay. And so I always had my uh, hip-hop playlist, things that would really get me in a mood to mm-hmm. chop up some vegetables. Yeah. So what is your playlist when you're prep cooking?
2: It depends. I mean, um, as you know, in the kitchens, everyone, just like family meal, everyone has to cook family meal on a different day. And mm-hmm. then in the kitchen, everyone gets gets control of the music every different mm-hmm. day. Mm-hmm. And so the great thing about hip-hop and All kinds of music in the kitchen is like we're in there for like three four to six hours prepping and so we have the ability to just listen to albums all the way through Mm -hmm. and uh for me it was always like a lot of west coast stuff you know everything from snoop to dilated peoples and um and freestyle fellowship j5 Mm -hmm. all that stuff we just let that stuff play and then um a lot of older east coast stuff for sure Quality was an album that I played a lot in one of my first kitchens. Oh wow! For Sure, yeah. When I okay. first became a chef, that ran kitchens, we were playing a lot of a lot of Black Star, a mm-hmm. lot a lot of Quality. Um, we were playing uh, a lot of the roots, and um, you know, and then we go a lot uh, a lot of Day is played in kitchens. Mm. Oh man, uh, Dayla Tribe, you know. Whew. So that's family. I, I think, uh, yeah, that's family. I know Jerobi and, yeah, and shout Ali, yeah. yeah, shout out to Jerobi. Just got married. Shout out to congratulations, congratulations for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say Tribes played a lot in the kitchen, for sure. Dead right. Prez. Uh, and
0: Jerobi's like, you know, chef community. Yeah. Yeah, because he left Tribe to go to culinary school. To go to culinary school and yeah, cook.
2: that's crazy. Yeah, his food's good. It's yeah, really it is. Good. We did a pop-up together, and uh food was so tasty.
0: He was doing a, a pop-up, uh, not a pop-up, but he was doing a Taco Tuesday residency in New York for a couple of years.
3: Yeah, Taco I think he's doing Tuesday. it in Miami now. Is he? Yeah. Okay.
0: Your truck, mm-hmm. Koji, Yeah, changed the game not just for food trucks not just for yeah. cuisine but for you um i've heard you describe it or the energy creating mm-hmm. it to like early wu-tang demos yeah i mean we
2: we were we were a force and uh it was all by accident mm-hmm. you know and it was all by accident it was all by the circumstances of life at that moment sounds like a beautiful mistake yeah it really was it was 2008 um, I was a grown ass man by then I had a career <laughs> and I lost everything mm-hmm. you know and when you lose when you lose stuff or you get fired or life goes a different direction when you're young it's like fuck it who mm-hmm. cares right mm-hmm. and you, you pick up and you go different ways but when you got a family and you're a grown man and you lose everything and uh, the economy at the same time you lose everything the economy crashes around you mm-hmm. Uh, you wake up to realize that the banking system has lied to you and pulled the rug from under you mm-hmm. and uh, people are getting kicked out of their homes, losing their jobs. And there's nothing out there. The whole industry is uh, hiring. You're overqualified for everything because everything is being, all the budgets are being cut down. Mm-hmm. And so I spent like three months looking for a job after I got laid off. And Where'd you get laid off from? I got laid off from a restaurant in Sanctuary City called Rock Sugar. Okay. but I deserved oh. that shit. I okay. really did. Uh, wow. Well, as, as I look back now in hindsight, <laughs> I feel like it was a spiritual calling. Okay. To, to I was boost. never I was never um, an entrepreneur or or an artist before. Mm-hmm. I had as a kid and growing up, I had these creative visions, but mm-hmm. I could never mm-hmm. express them. I didn't have the. I wasn't lucky enough like a lot of, like yourself and a mm-hmm. lot of other friends that I have that were able to find creative outlets very early mm. and um and being asian a lot of that stuff was suppressed as well so mm. i had to deal with it on a double level where mm. one i couldn't find my natu- my form in the in the five elements of hip-hop you know i couldn't right. i wasn't a great dancer i wasn't great on the mic anything like that i wasn't great at drawing but i was seeing the world in this weird way but i couldn't tell anyone or, or show anyone mm. so then my parents were like Show us. Well, if you can't show us, then you're going to have to go study. Right. You know, right, right. You know that, that's just bullshit. And so I dealt with all of that going on. And um, so, in any case, I ended up just being a, um, a chef. I worked for mm-hmm. a company, and, you know, that, those were my dreams just to move up. I moved up the Hilton uh, Corporation. Um, mm-hmm. I started running, I went from a property chef to becoming the chef of the Beverly Hilton. Yeah, that's a storied yeah. hotel. Yeah, that's the Hollywood Hotel, you yeah. know.
0: They have award ceremonies. Been around that's since the Golden the 50s. Globes, yep. Yeah.
2: And then uh, I became a corporate chef, and then I moved on and opened this huge restaurant called Rock Sugar in Sanctuary City. But when when I opened Rock Sugar, what happened was in during R&D, everything was going fine. I was getting along with everyone. And then the moment we opened the restaurant, this was a huge restaurant. This was, just to give a little context in the food world, mm-hmm. um, the food world has been always kind of like a power structure situation where... Uh, it was almost like labels ran everything Mm -hmm. so it was just if you wanted to eat good you had to go to the fancy restaurants and everything else was kind of mom and pop or Mm -hmm. in between there weren't any food blogs at that time there wasn't information that you could get where young chefs could start a five seat five table restaurant in brooklyn and and source ingredients and charge 30 bucks and Mm -hmm. whatever and so i was working for these this big restaurant and um Man, like, I just, uh, this restaurant was a, hu- oh, what I was going to say was this restaurant was a huge opening, like, literally, like, 1,500 covers a night, mm-hmm. um, celebrities coming in all over, we're doing, like, prep, um, just in, like, shorthand terms, we are doing, like, lexans, lexans are huge mm-hmm. t- containers the size of this table, we're doing lexans of prep, like, 10 of them, of mm-hmm. each thing, um, burning through everything the whole night, and then having to start over the next day, um. In most cases, I would have been able to orchestrate and organize all of those things. And you have a team of like 30 people that are relying on you. Mm -hmm. I became a deer in headlights. Like Mm -hmm. everything, almost like I had amnesia. I woke up and I couldn't remember almost everything that I was very proficient at. Like if you were to wake up and not know how to rhyme, it was-
0: (laughs) That's my worst nightmare. Yeah, it
2: happened to me. Yeah. Like I literally, everything that came as fluid as water to me, I completely had amnesia. And my team was like, I could hear it. I could then I could start to hear the rumblings in the background. I could, my team was like, "Yo, what's up with Chef Roy, man? You know, like, what's going on? We need him." And then, then, then it started escalating to the point where people were kind of like, I could see their hands coming in and taking over from me and oh, you know, no. all these things. And then one day I walked in. Uh, they called me in, and uh, there was a Manila envelope on the table, and I knew, you know, mm. and there was a bunch of the corporate team there, and I just knew, but it. it never I never had been fired like that before. I got fired when I was like younger in high school and stuff, but mm-hmm. um I never I was like a I, I was like the star student for the last fifteen years. Yeah, you were you the, were fully invested in fully this fully invested in yeah. this career in this craft and this in everything. And it hit me hard and so um a lot of depression, couldn't find a job, and then my friend called me and we started selling tacos on the street. It was mm-hmm. literally to just survive.
0: Now you describe this mm-hmm in the same way that an independent artist would describe their career. In mm-hmm. fact, a lot of the terms you use, you talk about having this block like a writer's block. You talk yeah. about it being run like labels versus a mom and pop. Yeah, I've, I've read that you consider Koji a band and A-frame your first solo album.
3: Yeah.
0: Right? So can you, what, What's your other properties, do you, do you feel that same way? I do.
2: Um, I do. The latest restaurant I opened to continue on that tip is uh Best Friend in Las Vegas and I consider that my my compilation album of everything mm. um not the greatest hits but everything that the last 11 years has kind of opened the door for me on um and it's a little bit of a tribute album of of everything from Kogi to Chego A-Frame mm. to Commissary Pot all these things And the city of Los Angeles and the culture of Los Angeles and the culture of especially uh, brown and black and Asian kids in Los Angeles. And Mm -hmm. it was like I had this vision of let's go to this place in Las Vegas where a lot of times culture is is void or, or gets lost in the vacuum and let's bring kind of the deepest, most personal things to that environment. I feel like people are going to love it and and they're going to get it. And so, yeah, I treat everything that way. And Kogi is like a band because um, we all came from different backgrounds and we all came from, we all added different things to
0: to the recipe, you know. Okay, I just realized I've been pronouncing it wrong. uh, it's Kogi
3: oh Kogi, Kogi with a hard G, yeah okay yeah. but I'm it's okay Kogi. it could go either way okay. it's
1: so funny how yeah. like um, <clears throat> how chefs fit into that same rebel personality that like hip-hop artists do or mm-hmm. like rock stars oh, yeah. do and like if you're not going the corporate route and you're going on a food truck it's like you are independent and you're just freestyling the same way mm-hmm. someone would just pick up the mic and start freestyling and it's just like mm-hmm. all the coaches just merge together
2: yeah the weird thing you're, I mean what you're hitting on is um, a lot of times that people end up in the kitchens because we can't fit in anywhere else, mm-hmm. you know. And, and the kitchen, I think, to me, it's a it's a great model or microcosm to to kind of like I think it could cure a lot of the problems that we have in this country in this world because we don't discriminate or judge in the mm-hmm. kitchen. <sighs> Doesn't matter your race, where you came from, even if you just walked out of, walked out of jail to come in, if you came off off the streets, it don't matter. They'll take you. It, all that matters is if you count, knock on our door mm-hmm. and you're willing to work, get an apron on and let's go.
0: Now, you said you were at a very low point when you started yeah. Uh, Kogi. Yeah. Can you walk us through starting a food truck business for someone who feels like they might have the skills, mm-hmm. but they don't maybe have the capital or the resources? Because it sounds like you were you know, were just scra- scrapping by it when you started.
2: Yeah. Well, I think there are a few points. um, one is you got to pay homage to the the culture and the history of it. Mm-hmm. Um, what happened after Kogi, there was a huge gold rush and a huge boom of a lot of folks, especially in Portland, Austin, uh, Seattle, and um, one other city on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. I, I, but in any case, there was this huge boom of people literally walking out of their offices and their cubicles and yeah. starting their old macaroni and cheese recipe. Um, but a lot... Uh, I was always like torn between it because for us, there was a whole life and generation before this modern food truck movement. And that's the the culture of the Latino taqueros, especially and here, and loncheras, especially in Los Angeles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important one to respect your elders and, and the generation before you and really pay homage to, to the work that they did for the streets. Yeah, um, There's that. And then the other thing is, You got to remember that the first bite is the most important thing Mm -hmm. in the world, you know, and to break it down a little bit, a restaurant, you have a lot of opportunities to make a mistake and Mm -hmm. still come out on top. And what I mean by that is you have the host or host or hostess or whoever greeting someone. You have the, you have the water being dropped. You have the waiter approaching. You have the bread basket. You have the music, you have the ambience, you have all these things that. If you somehow make a little mistake or the food's two, three minutes late or Mm. maybe you missed a touch of seasoning, you can make it up on dessert. Right. Or drink. But in a food truck, if that first bite ain't hitting... That's all you got. That's all you got.
0: You're right. When I go to a restaurant, I've, you know... It's like a battle rap. Yeah, yeah. Like when I'm at a (laughs) a restaurant that's supposed to be fancy, it's supposed Uh to be good food, Uh, you know, you make a, a judgment in your head. You're like, oh... You know, I like the shrimp, but I didn't like the noodles. And you know, yeah. but if you like the shrimp, you're like, I might come back for the shrimp
3: mm-hmm. if the
0: vibe is right and mm-hmm. this and that. But you're right with a food truck; it's it's immediate, one so, hit or quitter.
2: That's it. So there's that, and the other thing is you gotta. I believe it doesn't mean you have to come from the streets, um, but you gotta you gotta love the streets. Mm-hmm. It's street food. Yeah, you know. So you've owned that. Yeah, and you can It can't just be. Uh, some sort of business venture um, or some sort of scalable model that you're going to exploit, um, they are still the streets and you got to, you got to love it and you got to love it for more than just one aspect of it. And it, it, you know, you got to love everything about it. The, the smells, the sounds, the mothers, the kids, the gangsters, the, the workers, everyone, you Mm. know, the population, the people, the community. And um, if you don't love the streets in many cases, I don't see how your street food is going to evolve or, or be a success. And I've seen that happen over the last 10 years yeah. where people could taste the difference. Too. They can taste the difference. So yeah. that would be my advice is maybe take a look in the mirror and do you love hanging out on the streets? I mean, I love that shit. Like the things that I loved as a kid that were told to me that were worthless. Like these are the things I used to do Holly, just as a kid. I was right. never, again, I told you I was never talented. So, right. but I was always around everyone. I was always around cyphers and, and skaters mm-hmm. and, I was always there. I was. You understood much, the creative I, flow of energy. Yeah, I was always part of crews, but I was always usually the one smoking weed. You know. <laughs> right. you know? But what I loved to do was literally just hang out in parking lots, share shit with my friends, watch the street, uh, the sun go down, the street lamps go up. And I never wanted to leave the parking lot. I never mm-hmm. wanted to leave the alley. You know. It's very
0: important. That's yeah. Because I, I feel like that's really what the story is. It's like when, yeah. you, when you learn about McDonald's you learn that they're not in the business of hamburgers they're in the business of real estate it's about location yep. i feel like for you that's what you're in the business of that mm-hmm. that experience
2: it is and those things that not only i guess my my family but also society told me were worthless that couldn't be anything that mm-hmm. those things are you know those those things aren't what are going to make you successful mm-hmm. those are the cornerstones of Koki. that's our philosophy hanging out in the parking lot Watching the sun go down, watching the street lamps go up, sharing with each other, uh, talking to each other, um, going out of your way to be considerate and kind to each other mm-hmm. and um, but still represent the streets. So I think my advice would be if, if you're at the point where everything's lining up, two things. Give the food to your friends or people. And if the first bite doesn't doesn't make those people say fuck. This shit is fucking crazy right. if it doesn't right.
0: make people say that it's like the equivalent of, of rap punchlines it literally lines is battle
3: rap it's literally rap
1: and yeah. then and then it's like so funny because like when you have a food truck, it's like you don't you can't have any distractions. When you have um when you have a hip hop show, you can have dancers, mm-hmm. you can have light effects, you can have them pushing you up in the air, but when you're in the middle of a battle rap, mm-hmm. it's like what are your rhymes? I don't care. And, and with the food truck, it's like, what does your food taste like? Cause you don't have any music, mm-hmm. you don't have any servers, you don't have any drinks. Feed me so um satisfied right and if you do it right 1500 people gonna line up in the street yeah. oh yeah because word of mouth the is is, yeah. is
2: the truth yeah, yeah. Well, you never saw that you you were never in a Kogi line in no i wasn't i, I remember yeah. hearing
0: about it but i wasn't part of the phenomenon it was
2: crazy man was, i can only imagine it was like washington square park mm-hmm. you know in the early days or or anything any movement you right, know, it was, it was, a, it was a love movement for sure.
0: That's interesting that you compared it to Washington uh, Square Park. Um, somebody just brought up to me that uh, they were watching Netflix, the Hip Hop Evolution thing. Yeah, and, I, and it, when watching myself in that park oh, you're on that. <laughs> it reminded me. I was like, I didn't have a deal then. Yeah, the, the time they did talk about how myself and Gene Gray and Supernatural mm-hmm. and Yasin Bey and all these people yeah. that we held this influence in the hip hop space without being in the industry. Yeah,
2: you know, and that's um, how Kogi was the first yeah. two years. I mean, we're still independent, but the first two years was like that. We were just doing it for the love, literally buying the food the night before, prepping it the morning of, completely being sold out and and having a conversation and a relationship with our our audience and our crowd. Mm -hmm. Because we created some really like uh, we created some really crazy, like, I guess, touchstones of what I consider our culture, Mm -hmm. Um, because these lines were 1500 people long. We're one little truck and um the lines they took like three four hours mm-hmm. and we only had you know there's only a finite amount of food that this truck can hold and there's this amount of people and so we used to go out I, I used to go out and go on on top of the truck and or walk the line and this is where i started to develop i guess my my confidence and my personality is this when you became poppy this is when i became poppy. poppy yeah where i became pop <laughs> yeah poppy of the streets that yeah. you know it, it wasn't from a sexual standpoint. It was, it, it was from <laughs> like Poppy a fatherly, <laughs> fatherly standpoint. Because yeah, I, yeah. I really went to these stops and talked to everyone and said, listen, you know, and I made agreements with everyone. Like, listen, you see our truck, you see this line, and you know we only have this amount of food. So I know you want to order 10 burritos, you know, and I know you want to have five quesadillas and 12 tacos. But that means that only half of us will eat. Mm. So if all of us eat, that means here are the limits. So you've and been talking communion the yeah, whole time. Like yeah, you've
0: been talking about... Being together with people,
3: mm-hmm.
0: getting sitting at a table or sitting somewhere mm-hmm. eating, breaking bread, and and, yeah. and 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 feeding each other, mm-hmm. right? But also, when you get to the point of success, it's not about capitalism of like how many more dollars I can make, no. but it's about how are we going to feed everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's far more interesting than making money.
2: It is. That's that's yeah. life. You know, um, money is this thing that has possessed us. It's a piece of paper that I mean, it's important. It, it creates motivation, but it shouldn't be the I, I guess for me, because I'm a chef, I look at things in in the realm of a recipe. Mm-hmm. You know, and money is just one ingredient in a recipe of
0: life. Absolutely.
2: But for That's some reason, way to look at it. yeah. For some reason we've made it the only thing, you know, that mm-hmm. that means or matters to Right. To, we to judge something. people who are not yeah. chasing it. Yeah.
1: And you shouldn't, because if you stop chasing money, it's gonna come everyone has to eat regardless.
3: Yeah.
2: There's a, that's a big problem. I don't know if we're going to get into that topic, but um, there's so many people that, that <laughs> yeah. need food and need nourishment and um are eating the wrong things. And the thing, the, the, the illusion that a lot of people don't understand is that there is not, there's plenty of food to feed people in this world. Absolutely. There's too much food.
0: Right. We throw it out.
2: We throw it out, but it's just the distribution of it and, and the, the division of it that, doesn't allow us to see ourselves as humans that this basic fundamental right again going back to the money is something that that we restrict ourselves from allowing to share with people because Mm -hmm. in some way it feels as if if we allow everyone to eat well that somehow you you who are maybe in a position that is a little more fortunate Mm -hmm. lose something and um, this whole kind of binary idea point of if you, if, if everyone gets something, that means you lose something. And yeah, and, and that, that it's is, not a pie, it's
0: not a pie. To make you know? another food reference. Yeah. So
1: is, is that why you decided to start local?
2: I don't know if it was one specific point that drove me to starting local. Um, It, it, it was, it was a partnership with a, with a really amazing chef named Daniel Patterson and-
1: Oh, that's my cousin. <laughs>
2: is that your cousin? No, okay. it's just my last name, sorry. Oh, is it?
3: Okay. <laughs> could
1: be. It could be.
2: Um. I have a relationship with the community of Watts. Uh mm-hmm. specifically the Jordan Downs uh, housing community. Very famous hundred and thirty Grape community. Street. Yeah. yeah. Anzac. Um that's my family. Very and,
0: symbolic of, of Los Angeles Hoods.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean the Grape Street is yeah. the biggest, yeah. you know. And so weirdly I've I, I've I'm not a gang member, but mm-hmm. I've been I've been accepted into the community, you know, mm-hmm. and um I don't know, I come from an era where it was more about being a part of a crew than it was about your race, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah, so yeah. Um, I think people, it's just followed me my whole life. Like, I can hang with anybody, right. you know? And so,
0: um, I went on tour with Styles P, uh-huh. who has, uh, he, he's, he's like the healthy gangster yeah. at this point. Well, and he started that juice thing, right? Yeah, he opened yeah. up some juice bars. Uh-huh. But he's been very instrumental in teaching uh, people in hip-hop about food deserts. Yeah. Can you break that? Because... Uh, essentially, Watts, where you opened up, was a food desert, right? It is. Can you break down what a food desert is?
2: Well, I mean, a food desert is where there are no grocery stores, mm-hmm. fresh produce, or healthy food items um, that are accessible within a certain mile radius, and especially at affordable price points. Mm-hmm. But if you really break it down even further, it's if you take all of the things that we take for granted, even this cup of coffee right here, right? Mm-hmm. Even um, Even this beautiful clear glass of water right here Mm -hmm. you know those are food deserts because the water is not clear there is no starbucks there is no coffee shop there's no wi-fi there's no place for someone who has an idea to plug into a wi-fi to be able to maybe explore and spend some time in their mind and explore uh that creative journey in that process mm-hmm. um and then the thi- also the
0: food that, is, is, is is just terrible we had van lathan on who yeah. uh went from being obese mm-hmm. to just working out but he talks about his diet and how he was programmed as yeah. a kid to eat certain very bad things
2: yeah and especially here on the west coast at least on the east coast you, you all have food deserts too but you have mm-hmm. a lot of caribbean communities mm-hmm. that, yeah. that you know within within the neighborhoods that yeah that that don't come from america so right. even I without mo- cooking yeah even without money you're still cooking with fruits and vegetables mm-hmm. and yeah. rice and you know when i was here, a
0: teenager i was food. i would i would mostly eat at mm-hmm. caribbean restaurants when yeah. i started learning about food mm-hmm.
1: every, corner. Uh, every corner it's crazy because i mean food that's another that's another way to control and to keep people poor because it's like if you're not giving them access to fresh fruits Mm -hmm. and vegetables then they're going to eat what's around them and so what they're going to get obese or they're going to die early or and they're going to keep teaching their kids like this is what you're supposed to eat so that's why something like local is so important
2: yeah so i you know i don't know if it is i'm I'm not smart enough to know if it is a conspiracy or who's controlling it you know obviously i I believe that it is, mm-hmm. you know, but, um, right. <laughs> but the thing the is- evidence the, the evidence certainly points in that direction. definitely points yeah. in that direction.
0: And it's not even a conspiracy because it's right there in our faces. Right, we right know. <laughs> if you do the research, if yeah. you look, you can see the information. But, yeah. but please, yeah, continue. No, but the
2: food is it, it is corrosive, processed, preservative-based, chemical lab food, mm-hmm. right? And so that food, in combination with tobacco and alcohol- are the three components that really infiltrate a lot of our communities that become what is defined as a food desert. So if you can't get fresh produce, if you are being infiltrated by preservatives and processed food, um, and the only thing that you're able to eat or access Mm -hmm. or afford are foods that are filled with sodiums and sugars. um, What that is is basically someone has set off a ticking time bomb within your body. Mm -hmm. You know, and... You may be fine as a young 18-year-old, you know, and even going into your 20s and 30s, but by the time you become to your mid-30s to your 40s, that stuff will start to explode within you mm. because there are no nutrients in that. And our body, I think, um, can can accept a certain amount of that for a certain period of time. Right. Just like you can drive a car with no oil for a certain amount of mm-hmm. time. But at some point, gonna that stuff like is going to break. Yeah. And, and and it seems as though our body at about 40 um, breaks down because if you look at, again, the facts within um, the communities and the inner cities, a lot of people are dying around 40 to 50.
0: Absolutely. I'm know? I'm 40 plus now and yeah. I feel the changes in my own body yeah. and I've been very blessed and privileged yeah. to... Live a lifestyle that allows me mm-hmm. to tailor my diet in a way that most people are not. And yeah. I've, I was raised by educator parents, so mm-hmm. I, I learned things early on. Yeah. But a lot of people, I mean, obviously what you're talking about, it disproportionately affects poor people. Mm-hmm. And obviously yeah. in countries that are run by white supremacists, it disproportionately, the poor people are mostly people of color, right? Of course. So you started a TV show mm-hmm. to combat this broken yeah. bread on L- KCET
2: yeah it's on public television mm-hmm. and then also uh, a platform like uh uprocks called taste mm-hmm. uh, on the internet um and so it was a combination of them two and, and myself coming together to try to tell these stories um uh, of the marginalized you mm-hmm. know of and our not only the marginalized but also us all of us in our world so we approach things like food access food justice food waste um did a whole episode on watts and local Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I just, the way, the way we looked at local and the way I look at broken bread is that I guess from being a chef for us, we look at the world very simply, Mm -hmm. right? If something is rotten, it's rotten. If something is not cut correctly, or if the prep is not correct, or if you didn't rotate, it's just not right. Mm-hmm. It's okay. It's not a personal attack. Right. But you know what, colleague? today you didn't do the tomatoes right. Right. Okay. So I'm going to pull you over. We're going to look at this. We're going to fix it. And we're going to, we're going to make the correction. It, it has nothing to do with anyone's political stance or any power struggle. It, it has to do with just the truth. Right. And, um. and so we tried to look at, at, at these situations where, and ask these questions. How can we allow whatever we feel politically or how people in power feel about people of color? How can we just look at our world and say that people aren't allowed to eat, you know, and mm. people aren't allowed to drink clean water or um, or all of that stuff exists, but the gatekeepers of that aren't, are deliberately holding it back and then infiltrating it with toxic right. ingredients. And so, um, yeah, we, with both of these projects is looking at that. And instead of leading with antagonistic points of view, we just try to lead with love, you know, and that's, that's
1: also the perks of social media these days, too, yeah. because you un, like now more than ever, you have people, people of color or whatever that are showing, Oh, clean eating, work hard, clean eat or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're, they're talking about alkaline foods and things of that nature so that they're giving you access mm-hmm. to see what else is out there besides just right in front of you.
2: And there's still the reality, too, of like, because, you know, I relate to everyone. I relate to to teenagers, youngsters all the way to, to grown folk. And you still got to make food exciting. And I yeah. think the problem with healthy eating right now is that it's uh, it's either very uh, suburbanized in in, in in a clean sense where it's like it's extremely non-threatening and... and mm-hmm very polished or it's um it's bland big, and tasteless bland tasteless like or it feels like a vegan le-
1: baby in atlanta <laughs> yeah
2: it feels like a lecture you know and you got to make food fun and with kogi and local we just try to make food fun and not not bore people with the process you know
0: now you born in seoul south korea yeah um your is it your mother is from south korea North Korea. My, my mom's from North Korea, but it was all one Korea. Yeah. You know, at, at it was time. all
2: one Korea, and then the war broke out, mm-hmm. and they picked up shit and just ran mm. across. And mm. um, But yeah, they're from uh, North Korea, and my dad's from the southern western tip, I guess like where California would be in America. Right. Her family is um, a very interesting family, um, which is my grandparents, but... My my grandfather was a hustler, mm-hmm. oh. so so they they came down during the war from North Korea, and they didn't have nothing. But he was he was a hustler like a gangster, um, mm-hmm. and so he they planted themselves in an area in the middle of Seoul, mm-hmm. which would be kind of it's called Myeongdong, but it would be kind of like the fashion district of New York mm-hmm. Manhattan, and um, and he started kind of gambling and then working with the other other street hustlers and gangsters, and he started. Taking over the park and then his, um, his wife, my grandmother, started designing dresses and they built a little shop and then he started buying the real estate and he kind of created this whole area.
0: Um, North Korea is used as a political football in, yeah. on the global scale when people talk about politics. Um, did you see that film that the guy did when Dennis Rodman went to North Korea?
2: I saw clips of it. I didn't see the whole thing.
0: He, he painted a pretty bleak picture. Mm. Is that as bad as those reports?
2: I've never been um but see for me I look at North Korea in a different way because mm-hmm. it's just 60 years or 70 years or so one generation where these people are our cousins and our uncles yeah that's why I'm asking because I, yeah. I
0: imagine that that makes for some very interesting family dinners
2: yeah and so the thing is it it, it just comes down to like like family ribbing you know like mm-hmm. the way i've always looked at north korea is, is just it's more of like it wasn't like this this political difference it mm-hmm. was more like all oh, those people from the north they don't put enough salt in their food right you know or th- those people from the north man their food is so bland mm-hmm. or like she she talked like a country person you know right. Right. Stuff, like always yeah, better. Stuff, stuff like that stuff like that versus it being like th- they're evil communist people that are gonna bomb the world you mm-hmm. know and um And so, yeah, it's been different. It's the same way for me as we were talking about earlier with street food. A lot of people, when Kogi came out, you know, I've always represented the streets and a lot of people were coming at street food, like it was dirty, um, it was made from immigrants. Uh, they were calling it Roach Coaches, you know. Roach coach, yeah. And so that's a political stance. Mm-hmm. But for me, it's like, let me show you the beauty of street food. Let me show you what we're really about. Mm-hmm. And um, these are this is the food that I grew up on. These right. are the these are the aunties and the tias and the and the uncles that I that that when I was walking around L.A. that I that that were kind to me, you know. And right.
0: So, now you said tias and, mm-hmm. and and you do like Korean and Mexican seems to go together very well.
2: Yeah, I read some. I heard, spices. I heard some stupid, like, Illuminati fact or whatever, like, <laughs> long time ago when the the, the world was together. Pangaea? Yeah, Pangaea that Mexico and Korea were touching. Mm. This is so stupid I mean, shit sure. that I, I heard a long time that, ago. <laughs> so when it's
0: separated, like, that's and why somewhere deep we are all, our all soul an Asiatic, black, yeah. African, Latino. I, like, uh, Korea, yeah.
1: I lived in Koreatown when I first moved here. Uh-huh. so uh I want to talk to you about Anthony Bourdain uh yeah. he was a model for a lot of people in like food tv and he was just like a white dude that got it right yeah. so like what what do you miss about Anthony Bourdain in the food conversation
2: oh man we both knew him right yeah, yeah I
0: I, I did his show the last yeah. um no reservations he did in Brooklyn yeah. and I got to know him the only time yeah. we hung out was that day yeah. but I read Kitchen Confidential which yeah. that changed my life when it came to food and cha- yeah. it came to looking at chefs i didn't realize how much went into being a chef until i read kitchen confidential mm. yeah. but when i read it i realized that we were working at uh the supper club in new york at the same time okay. so i was probably eating his food oh, um it was a fantastic experience with him on the so you show you were performing
2: and he was cooking i
0: was i was uh handing out flyers for the party okay. promoters who were pro- funk master flex was, d- was the, uh yeah, dj oh, yeah. at master that club flex, nice. he was he was dj i mean he was cooking oh, yeah um but then, you know, what I, What was great was after I did his show, mm-hmm. we stayed in touch. Yeah. So I could hit him. I would be in, in Italy, like in Rome. I'd be like, mm-hmm. where can I go to eat? Because it's, it's
2: emails real quick. Yeah, right, yeah. Uh, Beto
0: and Mary. Yeah. Check that I went there, and I'm, I don't eat beef or pork, and that's mm-hmm. that's all they served there. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Which I know was his, that was his shit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But yeah, I want to hear about, you know, what she was asking you about.
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, My relationship with Tony... Anthony Bourdain was, it was kind of like a relationship I had with the homies on the street. Right. Mm -hmm. So I already knew he's extremely well-read, witty, um, verbally proficient human being, you know, like the way he looked at the world. And um, I wasn't interested in getting into philosophical arguments or discussions with him. Like, I had a relationship because most people that have relationship with Tony, they, they love the tennis match or going back and forth and being witty and talking and and, and, and finishing each other's sentences or go, going at each other. Uh, for me, I could spend hours with him, not say a word, mm-hmm. you know, like, um, again, those those are the relationships for me that mean the most is when you can sit on a couch with someone and just not even say a word, you know, and just look over. And the only thing you say, you hungry? And then you get up and you go eat, and that's kind of the relationship I had with Tony. Is uh, he pu- he he published my book, mm-hmm. um, L.A. Sun. L.A. Sun. We had a, a great relationship all throughout. The first time I met him was I did a show, The Layover, and um, but from the moment we met, we we just it, it was like I met an old friend, and um, we just kind of. I don't know. We had like a silent relationship. It was weird.
1: Like one of those friends you'd go over and then take a nap.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Take a nap. Yeah, just take a nap. And then, you know, um, one of those relationships where you never have to explain yourself to each other. You know, we like the same foods. We like the same things. um, Yeah, And we'd we'd be very honest with each other about stuff right out of the gate. Like uh, in 2012, I made um, an adjustment to my eating habits because um what happened was that was the anniversary of the la riots mm-hmm. and a lot of people were there was a i just had this, this weird reaction to the internet where everyone was saying the city is doing so well right now mm-hmm. and um and for me i was seeing so many hungry people on the street and mm-hmm. a lot of kids with no opportunities and i was like what do you fuck you mean this city is doing good right now right. and i didn't see your perspective yeah and yeah. so i decided to change my diet and eat more vegetables um because I because I felt like I was doing everything I possibly could with the freedom that I had to try to redirect what was happening out here. Right. And I was hitting brick walls every time. So I was like, you know what? Maybe if I change my diet, it'll just at least for one second of the day it'll allow me to think of maybe something I would have never thought about. And then um and it became this huge viral thing. It was like weird. Like when I decided to say that I was gonna eat more vegetables and fruits, like people freaked the fuck out. They're like, "What are you vegan now? Are you vegetarian. You're not eating meat anymore. What's going on?" And then Tony wrote me, and he's like, "Listen, you know, I totally respect your point of view, but you got to understand that there are cultures around the world where meat is a privilege mm-hmm. and, it's, and yeah. it's, it's a cultural right, a passage, and I just want you to consider that." And um, he definitely you know, liked.
0: And he would just a lot. throw me stuff like that. Yeah, he was like a meat course. advocate. Yeah. Speaking to LA riots,
3: mm-hmm.
0: growing up in New York, there's a a slight, slightly contentious commu- uh, community relationship with Asian people in Black communities, yeah. particularly Koreans. Uh, I remember watching "Do the Right Thing." Yeah. "Do the Right Thing" comes out in 1989. Yeah. And You have the the, the 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 famous scene where everyone's talking shit about each other' race,
3: yeah.
0: and um, the Korean guy is talking about the Jewish guy. Yeah. He's like, "You egg cream drinking," and you know what I'm saying. <laughs> and then the, the the situation happens with bugging out. Where there's a riot in the streets because uh, Sal, the cop, choke bug, choke bugging out out, yep. and they go to the Korean store, and they're like, "You next, mm-hmm. right?" But then one of the characters like, "Nah, he's one of us." Yeah. And the Korean guy in that scene is going, "I'm black. Yeah. I'm black." <laughs> now that was that was impactful for me. That was like Spike Lee dealing with intersectionality early. Yeah, right. Now growing up in L.A., it was a lot more contentious. Yeah, we had our issues in New York, yeah. but L.A. It the issues the, the Korean Black issues became national news. You had Latasha Harlins get shot. Yeah. Ice Cube makes Black Korea. Yeah. This all around the time of the LA riots. Yeah. You're growing up in this. Yep. You're coming of age in this, right? Mm-hmm. You and you're not just growing up in it as someone who's Korean, but you're growing up in it as someone who's fully invested in the hip hop community. Yeah. As you said, you became a member of that of those yeah. those communities. Um how was it for you navigating through that?
2: So for me, um again, like we just you just said like I always looked at the world as being a part of a crew mm-hmm. or being a part of a friendship. And so it's not that I ever saw myself as black or not Korean or mm-hmm. as Korean and not and or as Mexican. I just saw as my, of myself as from Los Angeles, mm-hmm. right? You know, and so during that time it was a very difficult time because I, I want to put on record though that a lot of that stuff, although it was real, the Latasha Harlan situation, mm-hmm. um, which was not a
0: good situation.
2: No, it was not for anybody. And and you know, anybody, uh, menace you know? to society.
0: Yeah, did sort of like a fictionalized yeah. of where that, how something like that could even start. But
2: beyond those certain specific moments, I would say 80% of the relationship between the Korean merchants and the black community in Los Angeles was a good relationship. Mm-hmm. There's always, there was always a Mr. Park in the neighborhood or yeah. a Mrs. Kim, you know, mm-hmm. or or a Mrs. Lee in the neighborhood. You go Grape Street, there's a Miss Lee that ran the liquor store right in front of the projects for mm-hmm. 20 years. Uh Everyone who's from fifty-five years old down to about twenty-four years old, right now, all grew up with Miss Lee.
0: But that is part of the contention because yeah. people look at it like, well, how come Miss Lee could come to this neighborhood yeah. and have a twenty-year-old a, a thriving mm-hmm. business, yeah. where where everybody else who looks like me is destitute? Mm-hmm. And I totally,
2: um, I totally understand that perspective too. And that's why when the riots happened, it was really tough for me personally because mm-hmm. I was I was torn between these two. Kind of like cultures of my life, mm-hmm. you know. Um, one was not more important than the other. Mm-hmm. Me being Korean was not more important than me being from Los Angeles, mm-hmm. and it was tough, man. I, uh, cause I, I, it was tough because I knew friends that were looting mm-hmm. and that were mad, mm-hmm. and I was hanging out with them, and they, and I was, I was there with them, and then I was also in Koreatown protecting Koreatown, and then I also was to get by at that time i was writing for a, a local publication mm-hmm. they used to pay 50 bucks an article and that was mm-hmm. the best money i could make at that time. <laughs> so they had me go out and cover a couple stories in liquor stores that were being protested and um and it was it was tough because i had to like i i don't know it was weird like when i when i went to these liquor stores in south central on one end when i was parking and walking through nobody gave me shit because i don't know if it was the way mm-hmm. you know, the aura that I mm-hmm. give or just you know, where I come from. Like people You like, probably Yo. carried yourself in a certain carry, way. Yeah, what up, what up, mm-hmm. what up? You know, I hear you and I, I would talk to them, listen to their side, and I go in the liquor store and there's this old Korean man that was just so fucking stubborn. Mm-hmm. And um and they were they were boycotting the store, but he's like, I'm not gonna leave here. You gotta burn this shit down before you take me out. And um I understood where he come from, but I didn't agree with him. Mm-hmm. You know, and so it was a very complex moment in my life where I had to confront these things of I don't I I understand this elder from my community and I understand probably what his children go through and mm-hmm. I know he wasn't here originally to exploit anything he came to the right, country he's, he's with an nothing
0: immigrant. he's breaking a buck yeah this is like this is what America's it's supposed really the to media represent that
1: starts up all starts of this all drama of between yeah. everybody and it's like if we all just start thinking for ourselves and yep. it's like you don't you don't get bred to hate somebody. You don't come out when you yeah. just go and you're in a community. It's very easy for blacks, Mexicans, and Koreans to all yeah. just join together because we have similar cultures. It's Not just
0: easy; it. it's necessary, necessary. Oh yeah, for us to to roll together because power in numbers is not just a cliche phrase. Yeah. like we're fighting a system that works against all of us, and we talk oh, yeah. about this on our show a lot. About you know there is, is America is still the world is still a caste system, right? So the closer you get to white the The more privilege you have, mm-hmm. you know, people who have, uh, you know, uh, Asian people, Hispanic people. There, there are there are uh, Hispanic people, uh, Latino people who are very dark skin, mm-hmm. who are just straight black. But I'm talking about the ones with lighter skin. Yeah. You know, they get uh privilege over even even in black communities, light skin black people get treated different. Oh yeah. Even in and and that racism is so pervasive. I imagine that even in Korean culture, mm-hmm. dark skin Koreans are shitted on.
1: It's all yeah. culture. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. That's why people that's try white to bleach supremacy. their skin. It's it's that's, it, that, that's, and it's crazy that yeah. we allow them to be that big when it's so. If we put all of us together, we're we're gonna outnumber them. So oh it's my. like crazy that they they let the hate that is taught to just like get that big.
2: The weird thing about what you guys are mentioning with with skin tone is, in Korean culture, it it doesn't even have to, anything to do with su- directly with white supremacy mm-hmm. or anything like that. But what's weird is just. Somehow it made its way into Korean culture because as well. it does have to do with it it because does. it does it's do that with insidious because I'm dark. it's not on the surface
3: yeah it's not on the surface it's so insidious. It, it's yeah.
2: insidious and so I'm dark and so what you get as a Korean when you're dark like this is you get like uh, oh he must be a country person yep. or they found him under a bridge or uh, he must be on the streets mm-hmm. um, but if you're light skin then you come from the upper class mm-hmm. or um you know you live in in a in a nice neighborhood or you, he must run a company
0: so even in countries where white people are vastly the minority white supremacy still all oh, Yeah, there the
1: they were very smart in what yeah. they in, in in the big ass corporation that they built that is white supremacy they were very meticulous and calculated
0: now let me ask you this mm-hmm. so white supremacists always use not just Koreans but all Asians mm-hmm uh as sort of uh you know it's like there's this model minority myth right the myth of the model minority yeah you know white supremacists they like eugenics Mm -hmm. they like iq testing even though in scientific uh, circles it's been debunked yeah but they'll say you know Black people have 85 IQs. Black people do have low IQ Black people people of color, people from Africa have low IQs and that's cuz mm-hmm. IQ testing is culturally culturally biased and it's based on, you know, your proximity to European mm-hmm. customs culture, and culture. Yeah. You'll call them out on it. You say you're being racist and they'll be like, "No, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not racist because Asian people have the highest IQs." And then they say, "Well, I'm attracted to Asian women." And so they they use Asian people As a way, and they weaponize Asian people Mm -hmm. against Black people. Mm -hmm. Do you see that happening?
2: For sure, Mm -hmm. they've created two polar opposites. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, the scheme is, and um, and I don't agree with that either because Asian people aren't born smarter. You know. Mm Maybe if there is some truth to some sort of success within the Asian community, it just comes from hard work.
0: It comes from hard work and it comes from... It doesn't
2: come from the fact that they were born smarter than someone else.
0: It comes from, just from what I can tell, and there's probably a sociologist or someone who knows better than Mm -hmm. me, but it comes from people who have the privilege to to send their kids to America are the people who are the elites and they send their kids to America... With this, with this purpose yeah. of getting into these schools and yeah. getting and educating yourself and doing well, yeah. same they do the same thing to Nigerians. Yeah. yeah. The, the Nigerians are looked at as, as the educated as group. As the educated group Because Africa, it's yeah. the wealthy, yeah. mm-hmm. the people who made money off that oil money. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? People who made money off of white supremacy. They could be black as dark as night. But they still made money yeah. off of taking, exploiting black people, and they send their kids here. Yeah. you know, and, and I'm I'm generalizing a little bit. I try not to generalize at all. I'm going with <laughs> the generalization. <You> know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's not do that. <laughs> but um, but I I'm, I'm only I'm only speaking on how people generalize them. Yeah. you know, it obviously that doesn't mean that Nigerians are smarter or anyone yeah. from any any Asian country is smarter.
2: But the thing about Asian people, a lot of people recognize is like. A lot of the a lot of the past successes is, is making up for some shit that we don't got. Like mm-hmm. we ain't that big, man. You mm-hmm. know, we gotta like you know, like we're kind of smaller folk you know like we gotta, we gotta compensate <laughs> for some Napoleon other shit we gotta work syndrome. harder you right. know like we ain't that athletic man and like we you know like
0: fucking, <laughs> y'all can dance
1: now though we can,
2: we can dance now but yo Koreans
0: like, with the break dance the b-boy <laughs> shit yeah. yo we, we not fucking with y'all on the b-boy shit American I know. have you it's ever seen that shit just
2: doesn't come naturally the shit they, they're, they're work. working like 24 hours a day have you ever seen
0: the b-boy scene in Korea it's crazy They
1: forget about I chapter. love watching because they do the fighting and stuff and that's like dancing but we're talking a lot of what shit right now and uh-huh. that's like what you want to do with the for the broken bread but the um show that you have on netflix the chef has gotten so much more love than that how yeah. did that make you feel Were you a little bit frustrated or
2: oh no not at all but it, it the chef show is something i had never experienced um did it come out of the movie came out of the movie with john right. favreau john yep.
0: favreau is one of my favorite creatives yeah working john's uh, amazing that's a great a great guy has his his, his, his Career path, his acting path, his, his, his mm-hmm. writing, his directing, everything, and so what I reading about you, I didn't I re- understand that he really dove into the chef world when he made that Yeah,
2: movie. so if you get to know John, what you'll get to know is that he doesn't half step on anything. Mm-hmm. So uh, whether it, it's when he, you know, through Iron Man and really mm-hmm. getting into the storyline and and underst- and being a a fan and nerd himself on on the comic world mm-hmm. and and um, the VR or the, the animation and the technology mm-hmm. and the VR and all the, yeah. It's, and, it's
0: amazing what he's done film wise. Yeah. And so yeah.
2: with cooking it, um, originally my job when we met was just kind of like to be like a consulting coach in a sense. Like if he was going to do a boxing movie, I was going to show him a few moves. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just going to show him, but we connected right away and, um, and he really cared about this stuff and he, he applied himself and, um, he's he's very 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 uh I don't even know what the word good at great at his the dexterity in his hands mm. like he he would go from chopping not knowing a chop to being proficient it was like like a like fast forwarding a movie he would go in the time in about a minute i would see it transform in front of my eyes mm. and so he picked up on everything extremely quickly and then and then because he got better at some stuff it sparked this curiosity mm. and it never ended so then the movie ended mm-hmm. and um we were like two kids at summer camp
1: Aww. that like spent every <laughs> single day together every single <laughs> Did we minute just become best friends yeah we became
2: best friends everything pen pals all that and then it ended and we didn't know what to do oh you know and so for the next year we started thinking of things of like how do we get back to that thing again? How do we get back to that moment where we can spend as much time together as we can can and be with each other? So uh, it ended up being this show, uh, The Chef Show. So to your question, I'm not disappointed in the ratings or the the viewership between Broken Bread or um, The Chef Show. The Chef Show has been an incredible moment in my life. You know, um, I've been an independent kind of artist, underground, Mm self-funded for the last 11 years. And I'm a, I'm a, I'm a local, I'm recognized locally, but, you know, not pretty much not beyond that, you know, and, but the chef show over the last five months has been out has, I mean, I've gone from maybe, you know, thousands of people knowing me to millions, tens of millions of people knowing me now. And that's a big jump. It's a beautiful yeah, it thing. Is. I yeah. was
1: watching it. Um, you
0: talked about, Smoke a weed and you know, smoke a weed is something I enjoy as well. Okay. I do not um, smoke, smoke any of the. I reasons. do smoke. Okay, yes. great. Um, but you've also spoken in the past about addictions, yeah, and you've had some serious addictions, serious ones. Uh, yeah. crack cocaine, yeah. Well, crack wasn't
2: really in ad- a, a, a huge, it was an addiction for one week. Oh, okay. What? But I what? go, That's... I go, I go in and then I get out, okay. <laughs> but and, gambling and gambling, was, gambling was a long one. Oh, move.
1: you mean yeah. a week at a time, not no, no, just one week, week one total? Week. No, it was
2: one week in New York. That's it. So just he had quickly a on the track on a the crack one was you're gonna appreciate this. This was 1991 New York, mm-hmm. 1991. I met a girl. I I, I so went out. I took I, I hitchhiked and took the bus and took mm-hmm. the train out to New York, and uh, or actually to um, Province Rhode Island, and, and she was at school there. Um, showed up at her door. Uh, didn't announce anything. Shit was creepy. I know. I'm sorry. I'm it's sorry. It's romantic. If
0: y'all were together. I It's romantic in the context together. of a romance comedy. Yeah.
2: Uh, a okay. Romantic okay. comedy okay. you could yeah. do creepy yeah. shit like that. Knock, knock, knock. Open the door yeah. and just fucking. I saw Wedding Crashers the, the other day.
0: He, Owen Wilson's character was creepy as
2: fuck. Yeah.
1: Oh, they're always creepy but keep in the going. So
2: that, I was Owen Wilson. I, I <laughs> face dropped.
1: Wait, was she Did, having sex with someone? No, no, but it didn't oh. work
2: out. And I was devastated because I was in love. And um, oh. and it just set me off. I was young. It set me mm-hmm. off on a spiral. So I went down to New York and I checked into I didn't have any money on me, really. You don't need I, money I had for like three hundred I had like 300 bucks on me. <laughs> but but check this out. Like I, I checked into the YMCA in Times mm-hmm. Square. It was seven bucks a night. You get a little room. And mm-hmm. this was during, this was pre-Giuliani. Right. So it was a lot of shit going on everywhere. Mm-hmm um
0: yeah i got arrested for a lot of that stuff doing crack too no not doing crack (laughs) but a lot of giuliani quality of life type things (laughs) keep going
2: and then i got i was outside just hanging out smoking and then um I got I got swindled by a hustler for like my last three hundred bucks. It was mm-hmm. a weird thing. And then um I was a classic very, New York story. Yeah, classic New York story. Yeah. I was I was vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Motherfucker sniffed that out from three mm-hmm. blocks away. Oh. I was I was and they call
0: that a mark. Yeah, I was a mark
2: in that moment. <laughs> i have never really been a mark, right. but in mark. that moment <laughs> right. I was a mark. <laughs> <laughs> <You were laughs> a yeah, I was out of my element. Yeah. I understand what it means yeah. to be a mark. You know? Oh <laughs> <laughs> <And> man, Mark. <laughs> that one day, and then this other dude came mm-hmm. and said, Man, that motherfucker got you. And um and he's like, come up to my room and I got some shit to get your mind off it. And he had a crack pipe and mm-hmm. then we smoked it and we were out. And then for the next seven days, I hung out with this dude um, <laughs> and we and he and he taught me a little bit about New York, like in that moment. Mm-hmm. like we were pretty much on the west side right there on whatever it is, Ninth Avenue mm-hmm. and all that where all the drugs were being all the yeah. drugs were and he's like never give up your fucking lane and when you walk in the street so we would walk and just and never give up your shoulder so mm-hmm. and <laughs> yeah. then you're so the that's, bitch that's where hey i'm walking here <laughs> you know, and just like you know and we would just bust through people yeah man, baby just like just keep going dude and like you never give up your wow. shoulder and um and then we would just like score shit and so I like went down.
0: this sounds spiral. like what's that movie with with Robert Redford and Midnight Cowboy.
2: Yeah, it was like Midnight I don't, don't know, but it, it, it should
1: be like a movie for was
0: like sure. i watch it. Ratso.
2: Yeah, you met like Ratso. That. Yeah, Ratso. I met Ratso, <laughs> and I went down the spiral. I would and watch this. I woke up, and then I, and it was just like, just like like Midnight Cowboy. There's this like smudged mirror, and I saw myself. And I'm, what the fuck am I doing? What, wow. Am I, what am I doing? And then got up. Um, I had a a relative in New Jersey. Uh, called her up. They picked me up at Penn Station, and I just kind of like, um. Uh, they gave me money to go back home, and then we paid them back, and that was it. But that was a week of crack. Now, wow, you said that's that
0: awesome. That, that is an awesome. <laughs> oh, um, that was
1: my week of crack.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but you said you said in an interview once that you don't feel like you will ever completely give up your addictions. Now you just you said that was yeah. only one week, but you're talking more about the gambling.
2: Well, gambling was a was a much longer uh, addiction. It, it actually destroyed my life, oh, wow. and that actually led me to cooking, and then cooking saved my life. So. um I started gambling very simply, like most people do. You know, uh, you're young, you win a few hands, you feel like you're on top of the world. Um, you know, when you're when you're 19, 20 years old, 21 years old, like uh, $350, $500 mm-hmm. feels like fucking mm-hmm. a million bucks, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and um, and then you just keep winning, and then then I started winning really big. I started winning like $10,000 a night, mm-hmm. maybe sometimes f- uh, $25,000 um then i had a, a shoe boxes filled with hundreds of thousands of dollars Damn. and then i started playing some really really uh high level games mm. and it's it's going back to movies like the movie hustler you know I'm yeah. like paul newman i'm fucking yeah. i think i can do all the, right but and, you and then out of the element i'm out of my element they're just waiting for me to <laughs> retire. Right, sharks know? yeah right. and um and i was playing with some real heavy sharks hong kong gangsters um old school old school like uh poker players with the, with the jumpsuits on mm. you know and um and i just started losing everything and but my confidence was so strong I'm like I, and my cockiness i get it back then you get to, then you get to zero and then then you start to go below sea level right. mm. and below sea levels where you start um it starts out very simply at first uh borrowing 100 bucks here 300 bucks there uh, having your roommate cover rent this month, mm-hmm. you know, just little things like that. Then it's then it gets deeper, digging into uh family's um um purses and pockets mm-hmm. and you know and um it's it's like that and you just start losing yourself like Samuel like Samuel Jackson character
0: and jungle you know, fever in jungle fever. Right. It's I like, smoked the TV, mama. Yeah. What did it's you like, wear the Samuel right Jackson he was, like on <laughs> no, he, was, yeah. he was on crack he was he
1: was on crack when he got that part. Like I didn't that, know there were so many functional crackheads out there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just learned something new. What did you wear when you were gambling? What was your style?
2: Uh, I've I probably i I've been dressing like this for forever, <laughs> man. Uh, I was, L.A. chic. I was wearing this. I was dressing like this. Sometimes I'd have an Adidas tracksuit on, um, but pretty much like this.
0: What know? advice do you have for people who are dealing with these addictions right now? So,
2: um. I'm still an addict, but w- what what was lucky for me was I was able to turn these vice addictions mm-hmm. into, a, I guess, a positive addiction. So I'm addicted to feeding people, mm. you know, and that's the thing that drives me now. I'm still an addict, like um, I'm st- still out there chasing this thing of like, I right now my addiction is I can't understand why there's a world where people can't eat good food, mm-hmm. right? So... Why don't people have access to food? So I'm out there creating shows. I'm I'm creating restaurants that are up against everything in the world that have no chance of succeeding, like a local, but we still going for it, you know, instead of opening a restaurant that will pad my bank account, mm-hmm. putting all of my resources that I can in that moment into that. Um just still trying to feed if if it's a thousand people today, trying to feed another thousand tomorrow. So um, I just found I was very lucky to be able to channel that addiction into something that created um results versus destroying my myself and my relationships. Um mm. I don't know. I, I don't think once you become an addict, I don't think you can you can ever stop it. You know, I, I think it, it just comes down to can you be able to channel that and and and, and redirect it into something else, especially as mm. you get older. Yeah. You know, like it doesn't have to always be the gambling drugs, sex stuff. Typical things that um, that define addiction, you know. Like uh, um, also, there's treatments out there too that mm-hmm. people can look at. You know, I, I've never experienced it myself, but um, what my kid and my family have have shown me and taught me that they're open to it. You know, and they and they 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 utilize um, uh, different intellectual points of view and mm-hmm. spiritual points of view, um, you know, and to be able to redirect that. But uh, yeah, one, th- there are compulsive Spirits and, and addictive spirits, and I don't think you can ever shake it. And I think a part of the destruction of it is if you is you trying to move away from that or or somehow deny it, you have to mm-hmm. be able to kind of confront it.
1: You mm-hmm.
0: know? Might as well face
2: it, he's
0: mm-hmm. addicted to love. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, I- Roy Choi.